The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Amen. I I missed that, guys. I just missed your reverberating amens. Okay? I'm going to say that. As I said in the brief introduction, we're taking two weeks to look at the crucifixion and the resurrection through the eyes of Peter. We're looking through his eyes because ultimately we don't want to see Peter. Our goal is to see Jesus. Peter's not our focus. Jesus is our focus. Yet when we look at Peter's story, I think we discover a lot of ourselves in it. Peter is one of the most relatable stories in all of Scripture. Peter is an amazing object lesson for us who come and put our faith in Jesus. But he's not the object lesson that he wanted to be. I think the object lesson that we want to be is, uh, why can't you be more like filling your name? And that was not Peter. I think of, um, (laughs) my wife and I joke about this all the time, we we did kickboxing classes together, and, and literally the instructor would come by all the time and, and say, Hannah, why can't you be more like Daniel? The funny thing is when we take classes at the Y, uh, it's, it's the reverse. I'm horribly inflexible, and so uh, I'm the one that needs to be more like her. But we want to be that. We want to be the person that's pointed at and says, why can't you just be more like? And yet that is not what Peter is. Peter's the one who seems to just rush into foolishness all the time. Uh, Let me introduce you just briefly to Peter. Peter was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had to make something of himself, and he did. In in every way, he seemed to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He was a blue-collared worker. He was a fisherman. He was the son of a fisherman. Fishing was the family business. Because of that, he had calloused hands. He knew how to work hard, and he said it like it is. And those are, those are fun people to be around. But as you, you know, sometimes when they say it like it is, it can, it can push people away a little bit, and that's exactly what Peter did. On the day Peter met Jesus, and Jesus invited Peter and his brother to follow him, it just seems like they immediately go. You get this sense that they were transformed by that call of Jesus. They went from from fishing and loving fishing to hearing the voice of Jesus and the whole trajectory of their life changing in a moment. Now as he follows Jesus, we rarely find Peter in a situation where he is not a commanding presence. He he always seems to have some comment. Uh, He always seems to have some suggestion or to interject himself in the situation. Uh, In a couple Ways we see that on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus takes up Peter and just a few other disciples with him. And, and Jesus literally is transformed on this mountaintop. And, and while everyone is just amazed at seeing Jesus, Peter says, hey, you mind if we put up some tents so we can just hang out here for a while? Peter interjects himself and completely misses the point. Jesus later asked the disciples when they're all together, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some people think you're John 
the Baptist again, or people think you're Elijah. People just, you know, they think you're all these different things. And Jesus said, well, who do you think I am? And Peter looked at Jesus and he said, I think you're the Son of God. Peter charged right in there. Later we see Peter being told by Jesus that he would deny him. And this is what Jake covered last week. Peter would deny Jesus three times. Peter, the one who always seemed to be so strong. And Peter did not believe this. He said, even if everyone else abandons you, I will not abandon you. Peter was confident that he would not be the weak one. Now, following the denial of Jesus, uh, Peter is completely absent in the story. After his third denial, he locked eyes with Jesus. It says, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. You see, something broke in Peter in that moment. Something broke in Peter. The man who he thought he was completely was shown to be false. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? After Peter discovered who he was, there was such deep shame in finding out he wasn't the person that he thought he was. That strong, courageous person that had the skills that Jesus needed for his ministry becomes completely absent from the story. Now we learn something here. We learn that God doesn't save people because of the skills that they bring to him. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, man, if, if God saved this person, wouldn't that be awesome? They would have such a powerful ministry. And I want you to know that God doesn't get more glory. God does not get more glory by saving certain people with certain skills. God cannot add to his own glory. God gets just as much glory from saving the crackhead using drugs in a convenience store bathroom than he does if he saves the Queen of England. Same glory. Because God himself is glorious in all we can is be included in his glory. And that is the gospel story. That is the good news, is that you can be included in his glory. So how? How can we be included? How can we, like Peter, be included in that glory when we aren't the people we thought we were? We need to be restored. Now this is a question uniquely for Jesus. This isn't something I can answer. This isn't something your best friend or your parent can answer. How you can be included in God's glory is something uniquely Jesus can answer because Jesus alone is the way to God. And so we find ourselves here in John where Peter gets the answers to that question. Is it even possible for a guy like Peter, for someone like you or me, to be included? We're going to take this in in two sections, uh, John 21, 1 through 14, and then 15 through 19. 
So if you want to read with me John 21, 1 <clears throat> through 14. I'm going to get something to drink really quick. There we go. <clears throat> we were out of coffee this morning, so this is just a treat. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And they, then they did. They were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, it was John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken them off. He jumped in the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of a large number of fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now this is the third time Jesus has met with them. And so, so Peter has had other opportunities to speak with Jesus, but you, you can tell he's kind of in this interesting spot. He wants so badly to be near to Jesus, but he does not know how to approach the situation. Now, the setting is familiar, the Sea of Galilee. This is their old stomping grounds for Simon and brother Andrew and those who were fishermen. There are seven disciples who are fishermen, and, and I think that's really interesting. These, these uh, Guys who kind of revert back to what they're familiar with. Um, a couple of those mentioned by name here, and there's more, but the three mentioned by name I find is interesting. It's Simon, Thomas, and Nathaniel. And, and each of their stories in John are, are amazing. Uh, as we know, Simon denied Jesus. Thomas, just earlier, he doubted that Jesus rose from the dead. And Nathaniel, very early in the ministry of Jesus, when, when he heard he was from Galilee, he said, can anything good come from Galilee or, or from Nazareth? So, uh, so we have each of these guys who uh, aren't known for good things, and, and now they're back to fishing. A return to normalcy. Now, isn't that what we want in times of chaos? Isn't that what you want now? A return to normalcy. Now think of the last week or so in the life of these guys. They had seen the one that they had committed their life to follow. Be dragged away by hundreds of soldiers. Brought 
on trumped-up charges and condemned to death and then brutally beaten over and over and over again and then crucified and laid in the ground and dead. That would be a hard week. (laughs) And in that, I just imagine they long for something normal. And that's what they do. When their lives become unmanageable, when our lives become unmanageable, we do whatever it takes to do something that we find is manageable. Now this is our first point of the day, and this is going to be a hard one for some of us. Our first point is this, that sin ignored becomes apathy. Sin ignored becomes apathy. How many of us are doing the same thing we were doing before we met Jesus right now in our lives? That's a convicting question. How many of us, when we first met Jesus, when we heard his call, when we heard the voice of Jesus that was so compelling, so just transforming, when he released those words from his mouth and they came to us and they were received and we decided to leave everything and follow Jesus. We prayed, we read the Bible, we were hungry for the word of God, and we wanted to talk about it. But how many of us have reverted just back to doing what we were doing beforehand? This is what Peter was doing. He reverted back to his regular old patterns of life. Instead of desiring things of God and things of the Spirit, he reverted to looking down, reverted to the things of earth. And all those promises of God were not things he meditated on anymore. He just wanted to empty his mind. He just wanted to fish. Now, we might get defensive when we hear this. We might defend ourselves and say, I haven't sinned by reverting. I'm just busy. Well, I just want to ask you this question, and it is one that I am challenged by. Is it a sin to have the Spirit of God and not testify to His power? Is it a sin to have the Spirit of God? We have from the resurrected Son of God and not testify to His power. Listen to Colossians 1. Sorry, Colossians 3, 1-4. Since then, You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things of above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things of above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You have been raised with Christ. This is what Jesus did for us. In his death, he took our sins with him. In his resurrection, he also took us with him. And he meant to raise us. He meant to give us this good gift of a new life, full of forgiveness. And, and I, what this makes me think of is uh, a parent who, who uh, wants to give a good gift to their child. And so they go to the store. They buy something real nice, like a puppy. It doesn't get better than a puppy when you're a kid. Goldfish, no. Bunny, no. Puppy, yes. That's a good gift. Now, I want you to imagine this parent comes home from the store buying an awesome gift, this treat for the children. And the child is just 
a mess. How much does the parent want to give the puppy to the child at that point? But this is how great the love that God has for us, how gracious he is that he continues to hold out love and forgiveness. When Jesus went through the brutality of crucifixion to take care of our sins, to bury our sins so they can be done and over with, and he wants to raise us to new life with him, and he comes back to give that new life. And he finds an apathetic people. People lacking emotion, people lacking drive, people who have so quickly forgotten him. Set your hearts, set your minds, set your hearts means this, guard your loves. Set your minds means this, guard your thinking. Because so quickly we become apathetic. Even though this offer to have a hidden life, to hide your life in Christ, to have that safety in Jesus presence he wants to give you that good gift but Peter right now does not feel safe in the resurrected life of Jesus because he is withdrawn to what he can manage now Jesus we see in this uh, he pulls Peter aside we see that later because it, it says that that they turn around, they look, and John is following them. And so the picture I want you to have in your head here is, uh, is that of Peter and Jesus after the meal. They, they, they go and take a walk on the beach together. Yet all over the story after the resurrection, Peter is avoiding direct conversation with Jesus. He's hiding, although he desperately wants to be known. He's so badly wants to be in the proximity of Jesus, but he doesn't know how to have the conversation yet. Now, I know what you I know that you know what I mean when I say the conversation. We've all found ourselves in a place where we need to address certain hurts, pain, when there's a barrier between us and someone else, when there's shame in a relationship. We call this the elephant in the room, meaning it's unavoidable. It's so present with us when we're, when we're with that other person. I want to say if there's something between you and Jesus, something that plagues your heart and suffocates your soul, like Jesus pulls aside Peter, Jesus wants to speak with you. This is our second point. Jesus wants to speak with you. The whole meal by the lake of Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee, is orchestrated for this conversation to take place. Isn't that beautiful? No fish, a boatload of fish, an invitation to come and eat a meal with Jesus. All that happened so Jesus could talk with Peter. Jesus was not going to leave earth and return to heaven without talking to Peter, without restoring Peter. Jesus wants to have that conversation. As we consider the incredible implications of the resurrection, we must never forget that the individual tormented soul is not overlooked. Jesus did not have a bigger and better thing to do that day. This was the thing Jesus wanted to do, to speak with Peter. And Jesus wants to speak with you. 
Now read the, the second part of this story, this conversation they have. Uh, John 21, starting in verse 15, going to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, just they're walking together. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. The thir third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, so feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and, and you went where you wanted, but now you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone will, else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then, then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Our third point is this. As we see this interaction as they walk along. Man, what a beautiful picture. Jesus and Peter walking. Jesus being willing to broach that conversation with Peter. The third point is this. Love is a good place to start. Do you love Jesus? Peter felt the shame of his failure, but there was no doubt that he loved Jesus. We find him uh, in the last chapter, chapter 20, running to the grave. We find him diving into the water to swim ahead of the boat. Now, he's not going to get there far ahead of the boat, I'm sure. But he just cannot wait to be in the presence of Jesus. Does your feeling of love for Jesus match the reality of a healthy relationship? Or, or is there something in the way of you receiving that love. And I think that's where, where Peter is. He, he loves Jesus so much, but the relationship isn't healthy. And that's why Jesus wants to speak with Peter. This is the question Peter's been wrestling with. While he feels the love for Jesus, he asks himself, if I ever loved Jesus, how could I have actually denied him? And you might be asking yourself that, man, I feel like I love Jesus, but if I really love him, why, why do I keep doing the things that I'm doing? Peter's questioning everything because Peter's questioning himself. Peter thought he knew himself, but he discovered he wasn't the man that he thought he was. And Jesus addresses this question directly. And he uses that big four-letter word, love. He uses that four-letter word, love, that uh, is translated actually into two-letter two four-letter words as Jesus speaks with Peter. And, and this is the, uh, the additional color we get if we look at the original language of this text. When, when Peter and Jesus are walking, and I imagine there's silence as they stroll down the beach together, who will say something first? And... Jesus, looking at Simon Peter, he says, Simon, 
Do you agape me more than these? Now, I didn't stumble over my words. Agape is a word for love in Greek. And the interesting thing is, Peter, in his response, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Now, again, I didn't stumble over my words. Phileo is another word for love. Jesus says, Jew, agape, and Peter says, I phileo. I love you in this way. What's happening here is agape is a love unique to God. It is a love that can give and give and give and doesn't need anything in return. That's God's grace. God gives us grace that gives us love, gives us the gift of himself that we do not deserve. Because God is full in and of himself. That is agape love. Phileo, the word Peter responds with, is brotherly love. It's, it's a mutual love. And so when Jesus says, Peter, he's walking, do you love me like you always thought you did? Love me with a love like God loves. And Peter is so humbled, he's... He realizes for the first time that he does not have what God has. He realizes for the first time that that he he is a broken man himself and he only has needs. He can only share. He he doesn't have it in and of himself. And so he says, Jesus, you know I love you like a brother. I can't love you like God. And so Jesus again says, do you agape me? Do you love me like God? And Peter sees where this is going. He's denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus is repeating a question over and over again. Do you agape me? And Peter says, Jesus, I I love you like a brother. I can't love you like a... And so a third time Jesus says it. But the third time Jesus says, do you love me? Phileo, do you love me like a brother? And Peter says, that is all I can do. And he is humble and he is reduced. What I find here is is God, Jesus, reaching out to Peter and saying, Peter, speak your heart language. Peter's heart language is this. It is a desperate cry. I love you, but I don't know how. I love you, God, but I don't know how. And I think many of us find ourselves in that place. We feel frustrated on earth as we long for heaven, saying, God, I love you. I just don't know how. And this is the resurrection message of Jesus to Peter. Jesus is simply saying to Peter, Peter, your love will never be enough. It it, it was never about how much you could love me, Peter. It's never about how much you can love God. It is about how much you are loved by God. God alone can shower grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus alone has the power to lay down his life and with his death and resurrection raises all who come to him by faith from the grave. That is something Jesus alone can do. How humbling that can be for us. 
if we want to find that strength and power in and of ourselves. The last thing is this that we see. The very end of verse 19, Jesus simply says to Peter, follow me. Follow me. This is our fourth point. Resurrection restores our calling. In the days following his denial and the death of Jesus, I imagine Peter going over the memories of his life with Jesus. The first time he heard about Jesus, his brother actually had heard Jesus preach, and he came and he goes, Peter, Peter, you got to listen to this guy. This is amazing. And then him responding to the call when Jesus walked by the boat and invited them to come. And I imagine Peter thinking over those memories as he as he would, man, if only I had done things better, if only I got a second chance. But then he remembered that he had not been given just a second chance, he'd been given hundreds of second chances. But Peter was never able to correct that mortal error he found in himself. So the question is, what would be different this time? What would be different the next time? And the difference is this. We see the whole gospel leading up to this moment being Peter trying so hard but not being able to do it. So what will change? And this is what will change. This is what can change in you. Resurrection. Resurrection is what changes everything. A helpful way to hear all the words Jesus spoke in his ministry prior to his death and resurrection is by listening to them as we do on the other side of the resurrection. The words of Jesus are only true as we read them in the gospel if he is crucified and risen. See, all the way through the gospels, Jesus is saying this over and over again. He's saying, I must do this. I must lay down my life. And they kept trying to hold him back. Saying, no, you don't need to do that. He said, I must do this because only if he dies and takes with us his sin and raises, rises in victory, only then will all those words and all those promises be true. Resurrection actually defeats sin. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are no longer slaves. That is the difference. That's the difference resurrection does. For us. Now let me read for you in Romans chapter 6. This will just clarify it for us. Meditate on this this week. Glory in God in these verses this week. What shall we say then? Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too be raised to new life. For if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, 
if we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. This is the resurrection power, and this is what restores Peter. This is what makes Peter before the death of Jesus and Peter after the resurrection of Jesus, two different people. Resurrection power. Do you know that resurrection power? Are you living in the resurrection power? At the beginning of the story, we saw Peter fishing. My question for you is this. Are you passionately following Jesus, or have you returned to doing what you were before you met Jesus? In the story, we see Peter avoiding a direct conversation with Jesus. He was hiding the same time desperately wanting to know Jesus. Is there a conversation you are avoiding with Jesus? He wants to speak to you. Do you love Jesus? Peter felt the shame of his failures, but there was no doubt that he loved Jesus. Does your feeling of love for Jesus match the reality of a healthy relationship with him? Or is there something in the way of you receiving Jesus' love? Remember, it is not how much you love him, but how much he loves you. How can the resurrection power of Jesus restore your calling? Follow me. Jesus is saying this to you today. Follow me. This offer has not lessened in power over time and space. The same Jesus who rose with power is alive today. Jesus is alive today. He wants to speak with you. He wants to restore you. He wants your fire of love for him to burn brighter than ever before. His word for you today is follow me. We pray for us. Father, what great love you have for us that we can be called children of God. Not rejected by God because of what we have done, but received by God because of the resurrection of Jesus. By your Spirit, open our hearts and minds. They set our hearts on things above, set our minds on things of above, so today we can hear and respond to the tender word of Jesus. Follow me.